Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, a clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia. My practice specializes in providing fact-based strategic and risk management advice to clients that are buying, selling, or growing the value of companies and their intellectual property. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you would like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. I also recently launched a new LinkedIn group called A Group That Doesn't Suck. So please join that as well if you would like to engage. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Today's topic is, should I pivot? And we've done this topic before, probably about a year and a half ago. Um, but I'm, as you know, if you've been a longtime listener, you know that I don't, I don't mind revisiting a topic every once in a while, because certain topics, I think, just lend themselves well to different angles, different approaches. And something like a pivot also, in my experience, has been is a deeply personal experience. And so everybody's going to come to a pivot, is going to experience a pivot, is going to engage with it, embrace it or not in their own unique way. <clears throat> and so it's one of those kind of evergreen topics that I think, I don't think we'll ever get to a point where nobody ever pivots anymore. And, and, and also, you know, frankly, from a very practical perspective, now that we're recording podcast 140 something or whatever, like 148, I, I guess, or 149, um, you know, the reality is, is that most people don't go back and listen to a lot of the back catalog. We're not Led Zeppelin. People aren't going back to the initial records and trying to find the original recording. So, uh, if you're like most people and you're relatively new to the podcast, statistically speaking, this will be a topic that we actually, actually haven't covered before. And if you want to hear more about it, then you can go back into the deep tracks in the archives somewhere around in the uh, the double digit uh, the double digit episodes. So, uh, I hope you're going to find this topic and this conversation uh, as as engaging as I anticipate that it will be. Um, you know, pivots are interesting because there are some very famous ones. I don't think people necessarily realized. Um, Cornelius Vanderbilt, yes, that Vanderbilt family initially started out with steamships. They actually started out with river, river barges around the, um, uh, the island of Manhattan. And they're basically providing cut-rate <laughs> basically providing cut rate ferry service across the Hudson and East Rivers. And in doing so, got a lot of people killed because they used rickety boats. But that's how they, that's how they charged less for what they did. They eventually did pivot into steamships, which presumably were safer. I don't know. I don't have any data on that. And then eventually uh, railroads. Um, William Wrigley, whom you may know from Wrigley's gum, uh, I don't chew gum because it rip out all my dental work, but for those of you who do have good teeth, you may know of Wrigley and they originally were a baking powder company. Uh, Twitter of all things launched as a podcast directory 
Yelp began as an automated email service. And YouTube, believe it or not, was once a dating site. So we have Tinder now and we have all the others, but, but YouTube actually was not the YouTube that we know of today. And, and, you know, I find it also an interesting topic because, um, I find myself at odds intellectually with the investment community on one particular topic. And that is, should you bet the, bet the jockey or the horse? And, um, uh, and, and what that means to those of you who aren't necessarily speaking Silicon Valley means that do you, do you place the bet on the management of a startup or do you base, do you, do you place your bet on the basic idea of the startup? And most, Investors will tell you that they base they they bet the jockey they bet the management team um, uh, over the actual idea, figuring that a management team will actually figure it out. The data, and this is empirically studied. Now this is actually a fairly old study, but still very good. It was published in the Journal of Finance back in uh, 2011. Called, do you bet the jockey or the horse? And and the empirical study determined that in fact the companies that generated the most value in their IPOs were the ones that had kept the fundamental idea more or less start to finish, but actually had switched management teams. <clears throat> and the reason behind that, I think, is that, again, probably torching this analogy beyond where it needs to go, if you have a slow horse, a jo- the best jockey in the world is not going to win the race with a slow horse. They may prevent you from coming in last, they may prevent you from having the horse fall over, break its leg, and you have to shoot it right down the track. But even a great management team can't take a slow horse and win the Kentucky Derby. However, if you have the fastest horse, an average jockey might, might win that race because you actually have the fastest horse. So I think that there's something to that. So finding the right idea, finding the right business model, I think it's, this highlights how important how important that is, because if you don't have the right business, you don't have the right model, it, and the data says, it's not just Mike Blake talking into a microphone on the internet, the data suggests that there's only so far a mediocre idea, a mediocre business concept will take you, and I don't care if you're going to have the best management team of the world, and you can dig up, you can dig up Jack Welch and Steve Jobs and everybody else that you might have idolized. Um, you know, Warren Buffett, there's just, you're just not going to be, you're going to take that so far. And I guess that's why I find pivot so interesting because a pivot is truly an existential decision. I think it is one of the most important decisions that are made in business and probably one that is not as appreciated as, as much as it should be. So fortunately coming on to join us is somebody who is, uh, either sort of at the later stages or fresh off a of pivot. She'll tell us exactly where she is on, on it. But joining us is Jocelyn Brady, who is the, cre- the creative brain jostler and brain utainer. She is a writer, speaker, and professional brain jostler who thrives at the intersection of comedy, storytelling, and unraveling the mysteries of the human brain. When she's not being the Bill Nye of the brain, as the creator and a host of her series, Tiny Tips, the Internet's Favorite Way to Brain, Jocelyn apply- applies her certified brain coaching chops to help create visionary, help creative visionaries tap their brain's greatest potential. In her past life, as an award-winning copywriter, creative director, and agency CEO, Jocelyn led narrative strategy and international storytelling training for some of the world's biggest brands. She also produced and co-hosted Party Time, a stand-up comedy and storytelling show featuring talent who went on to write or perform for Conan O'Brien, Stephen Colbert, and Comedy Central all while managing to keep her two cats and houseplants alive. And I've seen at least one of the cats and one of the plants, so we do have proof of life for at least one of each. 
Jocelyn Brady, welcome to the program. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, and before you get, before you jump in, I forgot to mention it. This is really important because um, you're you're doing something that I'm struggling to do myself. Jocelyn's first book, tentatively titled "Your Brain Is a Magical Asshat," is slated for publication next year. Jocelyn, again, welcome to the program, and congratulations on on writing a book. I'm struggling to do that, but it, it's hard to do that in crayon. Oh man, <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to even think about or talk about writing a book, uh, let alone actually doing it. But um, yeah, I highly recommend joining other people, a coaching program or other people who are doing it, just like getting some of that accountability. That's the biggest thing is just creating that structure, right? Just stick yep. with it. And so we, we have you here to talk about pivots. And uh, as I like to do on the show, just in case somebody who's listening really doesn't know what a pivot is, when you hear the term pivot, what does that mean to you? Oh, I think, I mean, I think a lot of this, I imagine the basketball move, like, okay, we were going to go this way and now we go this way. I'm, I don't even, I don't nothing about basketball, but people do pivot. Um, You're doing and great. They, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's just changing course, right. Deciding to move in a new direction and it could be sudden. So what did your company originally set out to do? Well, when I started in 2008, all I wanted to do was make a living writing and you know it was literally starting with can i earn enough to eat a sandwich today and then it started just uh growing really quickly i didn't have any business experiences in my 20s i didn't have a plan i just thought i'm good at writing i'll figure it out um and got into you know copywriting and one thing led to another more clients were coming my way i accidentally had more work than I could handle. So I hired a team, so a team of writers, and that grew into not just uh, with like content development or copywriting, but also then developing the brand voices and narrative strategy and overseeing their most important projects. Like what is the CEO saying in their annual meeting or to shareholders, or uh, what are you putting in your video scripts and even uh, overseeing a Super Bowl ad uh, for a, for a big company. And so we were, developing the that tone of voice and then training the teams on how to be better storytellers. Um, yeah. And like I said, I didn't really set out with any grand plan or dream or vision. It was just, I just want to make a living writing. And sandwiches. You wanted sandwiches. I wanted sandwiches. Yeah. So, so you started this. Cats. So you, yeah. And your cast wanted kibbles or fancy feast, whatever you feed them. Um, um, we feed them, we feed ours children. It seems to keep them happy. Um, so, so you started this thing and it sounds like it was pretty successful, right? If, if anything, maybe so successful that in itself provided a challenge, what were some signs that things in this company weren't meeting your expectations? I started to get bored. Um, I was, I, I started to uh, almost resent the projects that were coming in. And I knew that was, that's not a good place to be. You don't want to resent work coming in or um, pass that along to the clients themselves. It's just a horrible way to approach something and to work with people. So I think it was just the, the itch, like I, this isn't satisfying, it's not fulfilling. And, and, you know, a lot of the time when you start something, you grow up or you, you excel and you become now a manager of people and you're doing less of the thing that you started doing. It's like 
the story as old as time in any company or large corporations, especially just, you're really good at a skill and then you get promoted and you're like, wait a minute, now I'm just doing completely different things. Um, making sure the business is functioning and that we have good cash flow and uh, are the people doing their jobs and uh, how do we manage when, you know, people are out or leave or get vengeful or <laughs> nobody's gotten vengeful, but you got to prepare for all the scenarios. Um, so I think that was, that was the main thing is just feeling misaligned with what I was doing. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because I think that one of the most underappreciated differentiators of, of, of a Bill Gates, of a Sarah Blakely, of a Steve Jobs and, and Mark Zuckerberg is that in addition to all the things that people know they brought to the table, their, their innovation, their energy, their, their messaging and so forth, their vision, but also the, the skill set and the desire to run and thrive in a startup as well as in a Fortune 100 company. That is not easy to do, right? Because you're not just scaling a person, you have to scale yourself. And, and, and not to go all self-help guru here because I'm, I'm not it, but, but you know, not many people can make that journey or want to make that journey because you know, when, you, when you're running Apple, it's not the same thing as, as writing code and being in there and designing the products and everything, which I suspect was probably the case with Steve Wozniak, why he sort of took a, a less prominent role. I, I don't know Steve. He, I call him Steve. He calls me, who the hell are you? But I suspect that's kind of what happened is I, you know, listening to his interviews, reading what he writes, you know, he would not have had any fun and probably not a lot of success running that kind of company. And it sounds like a little bit of that may apply to you too, that you started to get far away from what you were doing because of the way the company was growing and somebody had to run it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, there's still things that I did love. So the more I was doing the workshops, I realized I loved that. I really loved interacting with people, um, coming up with ideas on the fly, you know, helping people pull out the creative ideas and um, just that like live interaction. And you never know really what's going to happen versus, you know, when you're and I still love writing. I obviously I'm working on a book and I'm also working on a really big, um, uh, network project. Um, but I take those few and far between because now I realize if I'm working on a project, if I'm outsourcing my writing skills, I have to absolutely love this project that became very clear. And on the other, other side of that is I love spending my time just working directly with people and things where you're you're not sitting alone, banging your head against the wall going, ah, help. It's just me here writing. Um, so, you know, even when we had a pretty significant team, everybody was working remotely. We rarely got together. So it can be lonely even as part of a team. I would argue sometimes it's lonelier. Um, yeah. Be because one of the, one of the, to me, one of the biggest challenges of leadership is to sort of get out there and put a smile on your face when it's the last thing that you want to do. <laughs> and when you're responsible for the care and feeding of a team that has entrusted you to become the platform of their careers and uh, in some cases their life satisfaction, that is a very lonely place to be. Yeah. And it could be really scary. And if you, it, it's really helpful to connect with other um, entrepreneurs and people running businesses because you just simply can't relate to 
to what it's like to like to, to feel responsible for not just yourself, but all the other people who are looking up to you like, Hey, what's happening next. And let alone, you know, like, I'm sure we'll get more into this, but COVID as for many of us was like, ah, everything's going to hell. And um, that's when all the, my, my big contracts vanished. So the ones I didn't want were no longer a problem. Yeah. And, um, but it was terrifying because <clears throat> I now had to let my team go. I had to tell them, you know, there's, there's no more work and I would love to keep you around, but I can't pay you. So, right. uh, yeah. I, I, you know, <clears throat> um, I'm, I've never had to let a whole team go, but I have, I have let people go in my career, but, um, you know, I, I got to imagine that conversation where you're, or a series of conversations. I don't know whether you did it in a group or you did it individually. Uh, I'm sure you didn't do it like that. That, that button CEO did it with over Zoom and then calling people thieves on the way out. I'm sure he didn't do it that way. Um, but I mean, that's got to be the hardest conversation, one of the top five you'll ever have in your life. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's like a divorce, right? It's yeah. just not working out between us. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, it's, there's a lot of emotion. And I got to say, with my, um, my longtime assistant, she, or she was five or six years this one. And I absolutely loved her. And I knew that she wanted to get more into filmmaking she'd been doing, but she really wanted to move to LA and, and try it, you know, for real. And I really wanted for her to do that. So when this came around, I think for both of us, it was, it was like the best breakup I could ever imagine because Mm. it was sad and we were, you know, really emotional, but also really glad for each other. She decided to go to LA. She just got a role with a really, I think I'm allowed to talk about it now. Haley Joel Osmond is in it. Um, uh, James Frank, wait, sorry. The other Franco uh, directed it, Alison Breeze. So anyway, it's, it, I couldn't imagine a better outcome. And I think when you have people's best interest in mind and you're, and you be as vulnerable as you can and say what's really happening, um, and that's that's really really scary and can be really hard to do. And I think it takes a lot of practice. I don't think a lot of us are well versed or trained to do that, especially in in a business setting. There's like this idea you need to be professional and you can't you can't say emotional things. And right, uh, but that's that's the, to me that is crucial and really important for human development, relationships, behavior, all of it. Yeah, and I, and I I think it's rapidly becoming best practices too. Um, you know, the, the the world has changed. Obviously, it's it's an open question to what extent we'll go back to 2019. It's not going to be 100. percent I think we all know that. Um, so so your your pivot story. I mean, it sounds like that that COVID accelerated a pivot that might have happened anyway because you really weren't loving what you were doing. Is that fair? Yeah, exactly. I had, it had been on my mind for a year and I'd been talking to my team about making transitions and, um, yeah, that came along was like, well, I guess decision made you're you're doing it now. Right. (laughs) So, 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 so COVID happens, you let your team go. What do you do the next day? Uh, cry a lot. (laughs) Like, you know, mixed feelings is really excited about a new direction, but also terrified. And it's so difficult to have built something up 
and then it's completely gone in a sense where you're it's um starting over it's just me again i have nothing um you know i have enough to sort of buy a few months um thankfully but other than that it's like uh what am i doing um and that's that's not entirely true because i did have the four years prior um or 2016 2017 i got certified as a brain coach but it's something i sort of kept secret because as someone who works with words, I couldn't wrap my head around how to love the word coach. I hated it. I was like, this is disgusting. I hate the word coach. The baggage, I feel like it comes with, it seems so phony. I just had all these um, attachments, the unhealthy attachments to the meaning of the word, the meaning I was making. And uh, at the same time, I was still doing it, still, still coaching people in, in private um, for four years. It was just now I got to, okay, if you really want to be doing this, own it. If you really want to be speaking, tell people you are a speaker, go out there and speak, go do the thing. You got nothing to lose. Now you got everything to gain because, um, otherwise we'll just be, you know, uh, moving with the cats into the crawl space and hope the new, the new landlord doesn't, doesn't know the new owner doesn't know. <laughs> um, so I'm going to ask you a sort of a semi unfair question, but I, I feel like I want to ask it anyway, COVID gave you kind of the jolt, if you will, sort of forced the pivot on you. Do you think if the pandemic hadn't happened, you would have, you would have made a pivot like this anyway? I'd like to, I'd like to think so. I think eventually I would have. Um, I definitely, it's, I, I do know that once I decide I'm doing something with full conviction, I'll do it. But I, I definitely think it would have taken me longer. I would have had uh, feelings about, not wanting to let my team go. And so if they don't want to come with me on the new ride, then that would have been the end of that anyway. So, um, yeah, it's always hard to say if you, and you never know what you're like until really confronted with the situation. That's true. Um, That's entirely yeah. fair. So I, I, I have to get back to something cause I think it's such a, um, I do think it's a polarizing word and that is the word of coach. And, and uh, I'd love to hear your perspective on it. Um, my view of the word has changed over the years, but I, I don't want to suck all the air out of the room. Tell me why, tell me why you have such a, uh, a negative relationship with that word. I think I did not have a lot of exposure to coaches or to good coaches in, um, business, life coaching, whatever, whatever the case, right. Not, not counting basketball coaches, which as we've established, I know nothing about. Um, but when it comes to that mindset and direction, achieving goals and that sort of thing, uh, I think I just saw, I don't necessarily want to bad mouth who some of the big hitters that we see, <laughs> but it's easy. It's easy to, to shoot arrows at the people standing out in front, but I just did not like what I saw. I did not like this feeling that you have to be, you have to look a certain way, you have to look kind of polished and perfect, and you have to come across as always positive and optimistic. And um, there's a ton of value in that, but let's get real. Sometimes life sucks and that's okay. To, like let's deal with the full spectrum of the human experience. And um, it just felt like there's a lot of show charade out there um, and a veneer and just not authentic uh, sales driven behavior at the expense, a lot of the time of people's real mental health, um, 
that that can be you know damaged in the process. I, I think I think there's something to that. So we're segueing into kind of a different part of the conversation, which is fine. But yeah, you know, I think I think in fairness, you know, when I first started running across coaches, I'm a little bit older than you are, but I started running across coaches about 15, 20 years ago. I didn't find very many of them to be particularly impressive. I didn't find many of them to be people like saying, "Oh, well, this person is worth paying," other than the you know paying. 200 bucks an hour instead of the people who I do respect and are giving me lots of awesome advice for free. Right. I didn't, I didn't see a lot of that. Right. And, 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 um, uh, I do think that there are still, still remain coaches that, you know, sort of come from the school of those who can't do teach. And we've had it. We've actually had a podcast on, I actually had my professional coach on and, and we, we went through some of that. Maybe I'll revisit that topic as well. But I, I don't think that you're being I don't think that you're being unfair. I mean, coaching is is largely unregulated. Uh, the certifications are are very disparate. You know, what does one mean versus another? How meaningful are they at all, et, et cetera? Um, and, and you know, candidly, the quality of coaches is really is is quite variable. So I don't. I, I don't think you're necessarily painting them with a broad brush. I think just the reality of life is is that. If you see a pattern over and over and over again, that's going to be the pattern that is associated with you. Um, yeah, and you know that's where it's, at some point stereotypes do come from someplace. They weren't just made up. They were they occurred because enough people observed enough <clears throat> enough behaviors that they start to become an easy way to characterize people, rightly or wrongly. Yeah, and I think we we haven't seen or been exposed to it's it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy to you think it's going to be a certain way. So then you just start seeing it that way and you start looking for those types of people. And that's kind of all we saw is like, you know, white bread coaches. It's just sort of the same message and the same, um, you know, one might be a foot taller than the other. That's about the only difference. They all just seemed the same. And I don't think we're getting, it's the, the big discussion that's been coming up, um, you know, in the last, in the last year plus, um, and it's been coming up a lot longer than that, but just who are we representing? Who are we putting out there? And the diversity in thinking, backgrounds, ethnicity, behaviors, we need to see more of that. Um, and I think, I, th- I do see that happening. And maybe it's because I got more into it. So I started looking at other, who else was out there who I haven't, who didn't have the huge reach and the number one spot on YouTube, et cetera. Well, and I think, I think the numbers also support it. Putting coaching aside for a second, uh, we both know, everybody listening to this knows the about the great resignation, the great job hop, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I think I think money is a big big part of that. Let's you know, let's be real. Uh, money matters. Uh, more money you have, more sandwiches you can buy, <laughs> uh, and better sandwiches like you can like wheat bread. But um, uh, but also this is also sort of the great reckoning with authenticity. You know, being in an organization where you just don't fit and you try to make yourself fit because you feel like you have to. And I've been, I've, I've been through that, that scenario. Um, uh, it, it is, it is wearing, it is draining, it beats on you constantly. And um, now that people have an opportunity where they, where labor has leverage for the first time in our economy in a very, very long time, you're seeing just people vote with their feet, right? Coaches are not. Um, you know, that 
for, you know, my job, for example, as an employer is not, is not so much to give people jobs, never was, but not, and, but as much as it is to provide, provide solutions for my clients, it's also to provide the right platform for my people to thrive. Ultimately, maybe with us, maybe someplace else, they're not going to retire with me, statistically speaking. I know that. They know that. That's okay. Um, but, you know, I do, I do think that authenticity piece is, is real. And I think coaching, are, coaching is becoming more respected because I think, they're, I think coaches are now embracing the, the understanding, embracing the understanding for that need for authenticity. It's not about, it's no longer about turning yourself into the template that the market wants but rather understanding what your own template is and bending the rest of the world around to your will. Yeah. Putting yourself out that, you know, it's, it's the whole light attracts light thing. Just put, yeah. put who you really are out there and then you will attract the type of people that you will probably work well with. If you're, if you're putting out some phony shit, uh, you're not going to yeah. get, it's, it's not going to be fruitful for anybody. It's yeah. probably a lot more damaging. Um, yeah, that's something that really drove me nuts too. When I was doing a lot of these storytelling workshops in particular, I would see how people in office settings were, oh, they just, it seemed so much, um, there's so much fear-based leadership because if the leaders themselves aren't willing to be, aren't courageous enough to put themselves out there and to be vulnerable and to say what's really on their minds and, you know, to some, you have to have some, um, filtering and um compassionate communication skills are are good in this uh, uh i was just hearing about what is it radical candor and um sort of some people hating on it and it's like yeah there's a there's a line to walk right your balance but be you and if you're not happy you need to ex- find a way to express that and if that can't be resolved you need to get out because it's just going to cause everyone to suffer and, and, you know, because of that, and believe it or not, audience, this actually does relate uh, to the actual topic. This is actually what we're seeing as a great pivot. Yeah. Right. Lots yeah. of people are pivoting their lives um, because they've been forced. They've been forced to reckon with things in their lives, with personal, professional, both. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing like being in lockdown with your family for a while to find out if you actually like them or not. I mean, that will, <laughs> that will send a very clear signal as to what your relationship really looks like. So, um, I, I'm, I'm curious, I think you have a really interesting answer for this. No pressure. When you decide that you're going to pivot, uh, or the pivot happened, what was the hardest thing for you to leave behind? Uh, the first thing that popped in my head was money. Um, just okay. knowing I had a regular money's a thing, <laughs> the least interesting answer I can think of. Um, yeah, having it's reliable, knowing I have reliable income. So I, you know, empathize a lot with people who are afraid to leave a job because that's all, you know, and that's what you, you need. You gotta, you gotta pay the bills. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And I think it's also a form of your identity and a, and a, a story you had about yourself and what you're doing in the world and what you mean to people, what you bring, what kind of value you have. And now you are faced, you're at the reckoning, you're at ground zero, and you have to decide what of those things are still true and what do you want to be true? Um, when, when you pivoted, did you have any kind of template? Was there a, a, somebody that you knew that had done something similar or was there an example of a company 
individual organization that made a successful pivot that made you think, okay, there are lessons I can take from this thing, or maybe mentors that helped you along the way? So when I was first um, getting up the nerve to put myself out there as um, brain coach speaker, I I found a coach <laughs> who was previously a copywriter and transitioned, made the pivot to become a creative director. And I thought, perfect, she's going to understand what it's like, not just making a transition, but also we have very similar backgrounds and how that can be really, you know, she just understands this world. So working with her was instrumental in um, just having that, you know, um, uh, empathy and somebody, and also the, a really good coach. So that gave me even more confidence of like, okay, I found a good coach and it's continuing to change my perception. Also uh, now I'm putting myself out there. So this is working. Um, so that she's who come, her name's Hillary Weiss. Um, she, she comes to mind, uh, immediately. And then as far as what I was doing exactly, I felt like it was a bit Nebulous. There's people, Jeff Chrysler uh, is one of my favorite humans. He is a writer. He started as a lawyer and then he decided to become a stand-up comedian. And then he got into behavioral science and he, he now works in a, in a company, uh, um, quite a big one that I'm losing the name of, uh, JP Morgan. Um, and so people like that, who just didn't have who didn't follow a linear path uh, because it's very difficult. If you don't have a blueprint, um, you got to make it up as you go. And it's just nice to see other people who've done that. Now I asked you earlier about what you had to let go in order to pivot. I wanted to ask the flip side of that. What did you take? What did you take with you? What, what was, what was valuable that you made sure from your previous experience, you're going to take with you to the next, to that next journey. Ooh, um, uh, on the very tactic, tactical, tact, tactile, um, both level, uh, writing skills, everybody okay. needs them. Um, storytelling and writing skills, because no matter what you do, no matter where you go, you're going to have to learn how to communicate it and tell a good story. And so that is lifelong and it's, it's always going to be a part of what I do and who I am. Um, and I think the, the courage to step out into unknown places uh, I think that, you know, I come from, I grew up on an active volcano. When I was seven, my house burned down, we were homeless. And so I think from an early age, is after my parents split, this is a very early age of learning uh, resilience or, you know, rebuilding and, and having a perspective that things can disappear, nothing will last forever, but you will be okay, or you'll be dead. And maybe, maybe you're still okay when you're dead. Um, but it's, you will figure it out. And as long as you keep kind of, you know, I love that quote by Oscar Wilde. It's like all of us are in the gutter. It's just some of us are looking up at the stars. Hmm. And I think that is a, it's like you still have somewhere to go and keep going in that direction. Um, there's no, you know, rush or race or anything. Um, and it's important to kind of watch your steps sometimes. But I, I love that notion of just keep looking up at the stars. So I know our, my listeners are going to kill me if I don't answer this question. Where was this volcano that you grew up on? Oh yeah, the Big Island of Hawaii. Um, oh yeah, and yeah, it's. Uh, I haven't been back since 2018. My um, there was another eruption that displaced my dad again. So mm. 
he moved to Maui to a, a town called Haiku, which is great because he's been writing Haiku for longer than I've been alive. Um, yeah, that's my upbringing. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, we, 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 we sort of forget that Hawaii basically is a chain of volcanoes. Yeah, and there's five on um, the big island alone. And then, you know, I just read they discovered a new one they hadn't known about before further up in the atoll that's like, uh, I forgot, it's it's uh, almost the entire, it's like three quarters of the size of the big island. That's one volcano. It's the most massive volcano they've ever discovered on Earth. It's dead, long dead, but it's um, they've just found it under under the sea. I was going to ask, it's probably not above water. It must still be below sea level then. Yeah, it's an old, okay. it's an ancient fossil volcano. Um, so how long, I mean, do you, do you, do you consider yourself having pivoted or are you still in the process of doing that? That's a great question. I think my answer is yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Cause I think there's, there's a part of me that wanted to erase and eliminate everything that came before. And I, you know, it's like, I'm never touching words or writing or doing outsourcing. And then this project came along where it's writing um, a really cool, it's actually currently writing about a women's, women's sports team. I don't want to say too much, but um, so I said yes to it because it, I could, I couldn't not say no. It was too cool. It was too exciting. And I knew I would do a good job at it. So I, while I said, I'm never taking on another writing project, this came in, I'm like, well, um, I, you know, it's, yeah, I think you're always in motion. So the pivot could be kind of like, you go back over here for a bit and you look over here and it's, it's a new direction, but there's some things that I'll still uh, take with me. Are, are there new skills that you've had to learn maybe that you weren't expecting, or maybe didn't expect to have to study so much in order to, to make this pivot to where you're going now? Um, oh man, marketing yourself. Woof. Yeah. I used to just be the person telling other people what to do. And now, <laughs> now I'm going to put my own face out there, you know? And um, I think you may have found me from the the tiny tips video. I think that might've been something on LinkedIn. Yep. Um, but so I started doing, so I started figuring it out. I'm like, all right, well, no one's going to know what you do if you don't tell them hello. So put yourself yeah. out there. And that was, that's been a learning curve. Um, and really it's, it's more time consuming than I thought it might be, let alone the, as you know, creating a podcast or a video and just the editing and the production. And uh, there's a lot more involved than I think you might imagine at first going, I just want to make this cool little thing and put it out there. <laughs> no. Um, being more strategic and thoughtful about the kinds of stuff I'm, I'm putting out there and when. So I'm actually working on a, a, a full content plan. Um, which is, it's just hilarious to me that I did not do that for myself, but I spent like 13 years doing that or helping other people do that. Um, so I think it's applying stuff that you might know, but now you have to do it to yourself if you're in that position of marketing yourself. We're talking with Jocelyn Brady, creative brain jostler and brain utainer. And the, the topic is, should I pivot? Um, you know, that, that, that's, that, that's really interesting. I, I think I think a lot of us, as we as we kind of move along in life and our and our professional lives, particularly if particularly if we ever strike out on our own, I think we do confront the fact that we have to. We're going to find out if everything we've been telling other people to do actually works. Right? I, I had my own single shingle for about three years or so, and 
that was the narrative I basically told people. They asked me, you know, how is it? I said, well, we're going to find out if any of the advice I've been giving people the last 10 years or so is any good at all, right? And uh, fortunately, it turned out that it was reasonable. But I, you know, to be perfectly candid, it was, it was a little disconcerting to sort of confront that because I did sort of internalize, rightly or wrongly, you know, this is not just this is not just about me, but this is actually about how I have held myself out as an advisor to other people <laughs> and, and, and still doing that. And, and if, uh, if I can't even make a go of a sole practitioner, then, then I'm really going to have to take a step back and reevaluate myself, probably go get a PhD in, in old Norse or something and just make a living out of reading Viking sagas or something. That was, that was sort of the plan, the fallback plan B. My wife was happy it didn't go there. So uh, I I can totally see how it's it's jarring when all of a sudden it's uh, you're looking around at who am I going to tell to do this? Oh, nobody. It's it's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh God, is my advice to myself good? Oh, yeah. can I live up to my own standards? Yeah. <laughs> um. So, you know, where is the business? How, how would you characterize the business now? Ta- tell our listeners about exactly kind of what you do and. And and why you love it, and 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 you know why you know has it been a good move for you since you did it? Yeah, I stepped into so started with uh, just stepping into one-on-one brain coaching and um, putting myself out there for that, and uh, seeing how I could make that work, and and it worked. And I I couldn't. It's not that I couldn't believe it. It was just like wow, fast, um, and. The reason I love that is, is helping people figure out what I like to say is helping you create what you most want before you die. No big deal. So that to me, I couldn't think of anything cooler than helping people create that thing, whatever it is to them. Some people it's uh, one person always wanted to start an art gallery and she did that one person wanted to write a children's book. And she did that. Another person wanted to quit his job, make a pivot into a totally new career and make six figures. And it's like, okay, so he did that. And um, it spans the gamut from really personal. Sometimes it's more nebulous. Like I just want to have more fun in my life and, and have a better relationship with my kids because <laughs> my business is going really well. And then it's the flip side of I'm just starting my business and I want it. I want to figure it out and make it work. That is uh, extremely fulfilling. And then in the next year, I'm going more, I'm going harder on uh, really speaking, speaking in workshops. So back to doing some more workshops. Again, I love them. Um, But, you know, around storytelling, but also around perspective and communication skills and uh, play, creativity. And I loved, I picked up some speaking gigs this year. I got to speak at the 3% conference. And, uh, oh man, it's so much fun. Basically, you get to show up and talk story and sometimes interactive, sometimes more interactive than others. And um, it, it's like going out and being a stand-up comedian without having to put on all the work <laughs> or okay. um, you don't have to go to the open mics every single night and um, no one expects you to be funny. It's great. Um, yeah. Like I, I, as you read in my intro, I absolutely love stand-up comedians. I hosted them. I never did it myself, but I just, I, they have the most amazing work ethic and are just incredible uh, students and minds. And, um, so I feel I, if I can tap some of that in some of the the work that I do, then I'm also really fulfilled with that. 
You could do stand-up comedy, I think. You know, I was thinking about it, if this, um, if open mics are a regular thing for a while, I might go check them out. I think it's really good to put in the reps and to feel. A friend of mine actually just challenged me last week. He said, I will go do another stand-up set if you do it. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go flail around. Um. Jocelyn, we're sort of we're running out of time here. I don't want to be respectful of your time. Um, there are, are probably topics that we we might have covered that our wish, listeners wish we would have done so, but didn't, or maybe they would have uh, liked us to go deeper on something that we did talk about. If somebody wants to follow up with you for more information, can they do so? And if if so, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, jocelynbrady.com, uh, jocelyn them, J O C E L T H E M, like them, not you, not us. Uh, on Instagram and YouTube. Um, also, what else do I got for you? LinkedIn, Jocelyn Brady. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Jocelyn Brady so much for sharing her expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us that we can help them. If you would like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at unblakable on Facebook, Twitter, clubhouse, and Instagram. Also check out my new LinkedIn group called a group that doesn't suck. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Ware and company, and this has been the decision vision podcast.